God, thank you for a time this morning uh, to come together, Lord, and to um, just take, you know, if we haven't stopped all week, just to stop, Lord, to come and, and, and just be uh, before you, Lord, before your truth, with your people. Um, and Lord, I pray that this time this morning would be glorifying to you, edifying to the church, that we would be built up so that we could be a light in this world, a light as Jesus is a light. Lord, I pray that uh, this would not be the only time that we stop, that this would not be the only time that we gather. I pray this would not be the only time that we, that we come to your word and, and submit our understanding to, to your truth, God. Um, Lord, let us be a, a people. Lord, let us uh, live out an identity. Lord, let us serve and live as a family. God, we thank you for your truth, Lord, that we could bring all of our need, all of our questions, all that we have to your truth, and it will hold up. So now open our hearts and minds right now. Um, let your work be complete. Speak through me or in spite of me, whatever is necessary for your work to be done. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we've been studying through Habakkuk for the last couple of weeks. This is our third week in Habakkuk. It's, uh, it's, I've loved it. Um, you know, today, if I, were to, if I were to kind of, if I came into today's text, if I were to sum it up, I would maybe sum it up with this, that there's more going on here than you think. Um, but as we've been looking through Habakkuk, just let me just remind you of some context. Habakkuk was a prophet in the southern kingdom of Judah. Uh, it was under the rule of King Jehoiakim, was, which, who was a horrible, wicked king. Uh, times were rough, especially rough. It was rough for the faithful. It was rough for, for the, the people of Israel who were still being faithful to God's truth and law. Uh, Habakkuk uh, was frustrated with the unfaithfulness of his people, the very people that were the God in his love and mercy and his purpose set apart for his holy work in this world were, were acting against him. They were, they were perpetuating the most evil and wicked things that, that the world was doing at the time. And Habakkuk was frustrated. He was frustrated over the sinfulness of his own people. And so he came to God and he said, God, how long? How long will I have to watch this go on? This is the, this is kind of, so the Habakkuk is structured with uh, a couple of complaints from Habakkuk, uh, a response, a couple of responses from God, and then another response from Habakkuk. But Habakkuk has brought a couple of complaints and he's frustrated. He's frustrated with how his people are, are living sinfully, wickedly, in evil ways against their God. And, and, and they're, they're denying the glory of God, they're denying the purpose of God, they're denying who they are, who God made them to be as his covenantal people. He asked God to correct them so that they would know peace and that they would honor God. Well, so then Habakkuk gets a response from God. He didn't like the response from God. Uh, God's response was, was that he would correct them, those that he would correct, he would correct those in Judah, but that it would come at the hands of an even more, of an even more evil people, the Babylonians. So this, you know, Habakkuk kind of calls foul on this. He, he, he's like, you can't do that. You can't take a more unjust people and bring your judgment against a more just people. That just doesn't work. And he retorts and tells God that as far as he can see, God's actions are not lining up with what Habakkuk understands his character and promises to be. Habakkuk wants to understand. He, he wants to, but he cannot fathom what God is doing and how he is doing it. And last week as we talked through that, we talked about doubt and how with, in faith, there is no faith without doubt. So the goal is not that we never doubt, but that we doubt well, that we doubt with humility, that we doubt with the confidence in God, understanding that anytime we have doubt, it's not because God is inconsistent or he is wrong, but because our understanding has fallen short. And so Habakkuk kind of came to God, and that's where he's at. He's like, help me understand. 
I don't get it. The, underli- the underlying question of all of Habakkuk is this, is, is do you trust God even when you don't understand what he's doing? So we saw the beginning of God's response to Habakkuk last week, and the message was this. God said, Habakkuk, he said, I am faithful. My work will be done. My work will achieve my glory be- of being made known and for the good of the people of Israel as his covenantal people. He says, it just may not look like what you expect it to look like. And we see that in Habakkuk 2, 3, and 4, which we looked at last week. It says, for still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by faith. So that's where we're at. Go ahead and open your Bibles to Habakkuk 2 if you have not. But Habakkuk 2, we're going to, excuse me, we're going to look at verses uh, 6 through 20 today. So today is still God talking. We haven't switched. It's still God. God is continuing his response to Habakkuk. And he he does this, what we cover today is he does it in the form of five woes that the oppressed and overthrown will one day get to speak to their oppressors, the Babylonians. Today, it's my prayer that as we see in these verses, that we'll see a call to comfort, not meaning ease, but a call to our souls being comforted, a call to holiness, and a call to mission. As we read, make sure to insert yourself into what it would be like to hear these words as Habakkuk, or to hear these words as a faithful person living out the law of God in Judah. Identify with that. The more you can do that, the more you will get out of this. Sit in the seat of the one who was watching the injustice at the hands of his own people. Sit in the seat of the one who has heard justice coming through one who would cause your indignation to rise up because they shouldn't be worthy to bring that judgment against you. That's where we're at. That's where we need to be. So we're actually going to read all of our text in one chunk, and then we're going to kind of work through it in summary form from there. So here we go, buckle up, it's on your screens, in your Bibles, on your phones, wherever it's at, or if all that's distracting, just listen. But let the words paint a picture, don't just kind of check out. So here we go, Habakkuk 2, 6 through 20, says, Shall not all these, that's all those who have been oppressed, all the victims, shall not all these take up their taunt against him? That's the Babylonians. So it's not just the people of Judah, it's all those that the Babylonians have taken over in all of the world up to this time. Shall not all of these take up their taunt against him with scoffing and riddles for him and say, so here we go with our woes. It says, woe to him who heaps up what is not his own. For how long and loads himself with with pledges? Will not your debtors suddenly arise and those awake who will make you tremble? Then you will be spoiled for them. Because you have plundered many nations, all the remnant of the people shall plunder you for the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house to set his nest on high to be safe from the reach of harm. You have devised shame for your house by cutting off many peoples. You have forfeited your life for the stone will cry out from the wall and the beam from the woodwork respond. Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. Behold, is it not from the Lord of hosts that peoples labor merely for fire and nations weary themselves for nothing? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. 
Woe to him who makes his neighbors drink. You pour out your wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. You will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Drink yourself and show your uncircumcision. The cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you, and utter shame will come upon your glory. The violence done to Lebanon will overwhelm you, as will the destruction of the beasts that terrified them. For the blood of man and, and violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. What profit is an idol when its maker has shaped it, a metal image, a teacher of lies, for its maker trusts in his own creation when he makes speechless idols? Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, awake to a silent stone, arise. Can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath at all in it. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. So just to make sure we didn't miss it, the oppressed, overtaken people, not just in Judah for this to come, but all those that the Babylonians are speaking these woes. And every subject that it was speaking was the overthrowers, throwers, was the overtakers, was the Babylonians. So the first thing I want us to see from God's response is that there is a call to comfort. What are the questions that we ask? in the times that God seems silence, the times that we find ourselves in the desert or in distress or in pain or, or in anguish or, or that we're, we feel lost. We, what are the questions we ask? We ask these questions. We ask God, are you there? We ask God, why are you letting this happen? We ask God, are you good? We ask God, am I yours? Am I not your people? Or maybe even God, are you real? How can all this be if you are real? God understands. He, he, he showed us last week, the righteous shall live by faith. God understands that living by faith is hard for the finite. It's hard. For, we, we are finite. Our, our understanding falls way short. Our wisdom is, 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 is just, it's, it's anemic. Of what we compared to what we need, God knows that this this living by faith is extremely difficult for the finite, and so I think it's interesting as as Habakkuk lays these questions out before God, that as God first kind of gives us adrenaline shot of of, of fortitude of like, remember I'm faithful my work will be done. And then the next thing he goes to are these woes. He immediately speaks comfort to Habakkuk and to the faithful in Judah, but it's done in these woes. Like, why is that a comfort? The five woes are the words that the oppressed and overthrown will one day get to speak to their wicked overtakers when they're delivered, like I said. And God's proclamation of these woes is a promise. Again, he's just, he's expanding on this promise that he already made. God is calling Habakkuk and each of us, he's calling Habakkuk and each of us to live in the hope of who he is instead of by the favorability of our circumstances, of our world. And, and we think, again, how are these woes a comfort? Is it that, we are, is it that our comfort, in the, is it in their discomfort? Is that what's comforting to us? Our comfort is not in the punishment that the wicked will endure, but rather the fact that they are still subject to our Almighty God. And they will not exceed His purpose. So let's take they, make it a it, the circumstances of your life, maybe the things that feel 
They're, they're not afflicted by man, but yet they are still an affliction. What is God's proof of faithfulness for you? Is it who he is, his unchanging love, his unchanging grace, his unchanging truth and justice? Or is it the way your circumstances play out in life? And again, we can attribute that to his goodness, or we can attribute it to ours, saying that, well, if something's wrong, then I must be wrong. Which may be the case, right? There is consequence for sin, but also we live in a fallen world. And our opportunity is to surrender, come before God and say, here I am. I need your help. So, is it a comfort to you yet that God, that God will never let the evil of this world exceed his will, exceed his design, exceed his desire for what he wants to and needs to accomplish in this world? If it's not, let's keep going. If it is, let's keep going. All of the evil and pain we see in our world is a result of sin. Remember, before the fall, before sin, all was perfect. No sickness, no shame, no pain, no death, no tears. So we can know that all of evil and pain that we see in our world is a result of sin. Here's what else we can know. God's sovereignty reigns over all things, including his fallen creation sinfulness. I'm going, I, want, I know that these are like, I don't, for me anyway, they were concepts that I just kind of had to let sit. So I'm just trying to go slow, like slow to give space for this stuff to sink in. So when we think about God's sovereignty reigning over all things, including his fallen creation sinfulness, that is our sin, as well as the sin enacted upon us by others around us, what does that lead us to? This is what I pray that it leads us to. I pray that we come to understanding that peace and hope cannot exist without us reveling in the sovereignty of God. Once again, here we see God's love, mercy, and justice come into clear view as we see God, God's judgment come, but we also see his, his sovereignty uh, keep it within only what he wills and works, and we see that uh, that his love and mercy is fulfilled for those in need, as well as uh, those, I mean, even the, Babylon, even the Babylonians. We see that the, all these works are working towards them as well. Our hope, our hope is in an unchanging, incorruptible, loving, and just God. Proverbs 16, 1-4 says this, it says, The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the Spirit. Commit your work to the Lord, and your plans will be established. The Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. Is that a comfort? I pray that it is. To know that God is on the throne, to know that his, his will is good. He's working, he's working in a way that will bring his glory into the world. He's working in a way that will bring comfort to us because our hope is not in this mired of this circumstance, but that it's in him and his faithfulness, his unchangingness, his incorruptible love and truth. So God's invited us into comfort because of his sovereign rule, because of his sovereign care. He's invited us to comfort. The second thing I want us to see in what God is saying is that there is a call to holiness. 
We just saw that God's love and, and mercy and judgment are the foundations of the hope that we have, but we must also see them to be exceedingly sobering. I pray we do. When we look at these woes, we must, we must not exclude ourselves from the consequences of our own sin against God. Remember, this all started, this all started because of the people of God living out wickedness, living out rebellion against God. They were living out in such a way that would call, cause Habakkuk to cry out, how long must I see this violence? How long must I watch this injustice? That was not about the Babylonians. That was about the people of Judah, the people of Israel and the southern kingdom. So we must remember this, this, this woe is against us. Those who do not humble themselves, who do not um, so, so surrender to the truth and will and way of God. What are the five woes in their consequences, and their consequences. In verses 6 through 8, we see that there's greed, there's wealth by extortion, the gain through dishonest measures. And, and, and what, what is the response that we see? There is a promise of plunder. The day will cease and they will be plundered. Verses 9 through 11, the woe to this is the arrogant of self-assertion. Setting their nests on high, talking about building, building their kingdom so that all can see. And I love this little picture. It says, even the walls will cry out against them. Saying that they, even the things that you've made with your hands, which we'll come to this more in a minute, but, but will only expose the futility of your work and the greatness of God. What is the promise there? It says that shame will come. What is the, the judgment there? Shame will come. So the arrogant self-assertion. You may get to enjoy it for a little while, but shame will come. You will be taken down. Uh, verses 12 through 14, we see, we see this woe because of violence, this woe to violence, the, the, the resorting to bloodshed. And we know that this commitment, this resorting to bloodshed for your own gain, only fuels your own destruction. I mean, I mean gosh, it's such a common, common vernacular. Those who live by the sword die by the sword, right? We've all heard that. It fuels their own destruction. The, the fourth woe is, is the inhumane, insolent treatment of others, you know, causing, causing them, you know, ridicule for your own enjoyment. Treating people disgracefully, it will come back to haunt them. Uh, it reminds me of a game that we used to play called Captain or Boss. It's a stupid card game. We played tons of games. But you sit in a circle and there's a hierarchy and you're president, vice president, da 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 and as you played, I don't remember how you made your way up the chain, but it also had these other dynamics to it that you could, it, anyone below you in the hierarchy, you could, you could tell them to do anything. Whether it was, you know, do 10 jumping jacks, go get me a water, rub my shoulders, you know, I don't know, just anything. It could be anything. Well, it was really fun until you got knocked down a notch and that person that you were horrible to got above you. And all of a sudden, you know, they were exacting it upon you tenfold. What a great example to preach the truth of the gospel, right? So, but it just reminded me of that, of, of treating people disgracefully will always come back to haunt. And then uh, verses 18 through 20, we see this, just the, the, the worst of all the idolatry, trust in their own creation, fail to bow to the creator. And uh, through that, if, if, you, if you persevere in that posture, you'll miss out on redemption, is what we see. So as we read those, we may think, just as Habakkuk did, that these woes don't apply to us, because we're not that bad. But let us remember that Jesus called us to, and let's remember what Jesus called us to in, in his sermon on the mount. 
He told us God is far more concerned with the heart than merely our outward behaviors, what we just read in Proverbs 16. Uh, we think about what we saw, harboring anger is just like murder. Looking lustfully at another is just like committing adultery. And I think Jesus' teaching on retaliation kind of is right in line with this text. Just for fun, we'll read that, that whole section. Uh, Matthew 5, 38-42 says this, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who will borrow from you. Seeing God's concern with the heart, seeing that Jesus in Christ it is about the heart and not just about the behavior. And again, if we remember what sinfulness is, it is missing the mark by even the smallest event because we are measured against God's holiness, not against each other. We cannot place ourselves outside of this promise of judgment and consequence of sinfulness. We cannot place ourselves outside of the reach of these woes. These woes could just as, just as easily be spoken to you and me if we perpetuate our own rebellion, if we perpetuate our own sinfulness. How does this happen? Like, how, how do we, like, for, for those, especially for those who, who have surrendered their life to Christ and said, yeah, I, I, I am a sinner, I need a Savior, Jesus is my Savior, come make me new, your atoning sacrifice was paid for me, and now God looks at me and sees my righteousness, but yet, but yet we still continue, again, we battle the flesh, and we continue uh, to, to sin, and sometimes we continue to find ourselves in habitual sin. How does this happen? I think it happens through just the, the, daily, the daily give. What do I mean by that? We, we go about our days making allowances for our rebellion and sinfulness because we experience no grand consequence many times. And I think, you know, it's little by little that we, we, we say, well, nothing, nothing big happened there. And it's because we're more worried about consequences, we're more worried about behavior and what people see than we are about living out and offering to God as his people. We must not forget that while we experience the daily impacts of sinfulness, there is a day coming when all judgment will be complete. Notice what verse 7 says here in chapter 2. It says, Will not your debtors suddenly arise and those awake who will make you tremble? Then you will be a spoil for them. The end comes abruptly. A story. My undergrad studies were in outdoor education with an emphasis in the therapeutic use of adventure. Sounds awesome, right? What's that mean? It just it means we did fun stuff and we tried to use it to help people change. Okay? That's what we did. So it was camping, climbing, whitewater, canoeing, rafting, you know, outdoor pursuits, high ropes, low ropes, that kind of stuff. Well, there was a phenomenon that we would observe regularly on the high ropes course. We'd be going through a, a traversing element, an element where people were on a high wire. Now, of course, we're not like, you know, Franklin, uh, the Walendas or anything. We had, you know, you know, belays and all that stuff. But still, people, there's enough slack that people can fall. But we're doing this traversing element going across this wire. And people would, you know, they go up and first they're overcoming fear of just being high. Then they're going, overcoming fear of stepping out. Then they're overcoming all the work that it takes to make it through. And, you know, you know the, the middle of a traverse is the hardest, the hardest part. There's the most give in the wire. There's just the most uncertainty. And so there's a lot to work through. And over and over again, we would see people struggle and work through their fears and make it through the most challenging parts of the ele element. And when they think they would be 
that's when you think they would be most likely to fall, but they would make it through it, but it was often when they were just a few steps from the end that they would fall. They would think that they had arrived and they would let their guard down and they would fall. And thinking about our, our pursuit of holiness, thinking about the call of holiness on our lives, we are called to live faithful until the last day. And the last day comes suddenly. We think, when we think we've arrived, we often let up and we think, okay, I'm good, like I'm, I'm doing enough and I'm good and we let up. And then that's when the fall comes. We see, we, we have to know that we are called to faithfulness to the very end. We, we, can't, we cannot forget that we are God's restored image bearers. We are meant to, to express that, to live that out. We're not to, to let up, but to finish strong, as it says in 2 Timothy 4, 6-8, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. We must remember that our holiness, our right living, our willful work to kill sin and pursue righteousness is, is meant to be an evidence of who we are in Christ. That we were sinners, now made saints. That we were orphans, adopted as sons and daughters. And in that, we were set apart for God's holy purpose in this world. It is not to attain, it is to express. Our pursuit of holiness is to express who we are in Christ. As God is unchanging in every way, our hope and pursuits of holiness can and should be unchanging. So God is saying, be comforted because I am sovereign and I am good. He's saying, be holy because you are my people. Be holy. Our last thing that we see that God has given us a call into is a call to mission. Look at Habakkuk 2, 14. It says, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Before we point out this uh, verse's call to mission, once again, let us bask just in the comfort of its assurances. You see, this verse 14 is a conclusory thought following verses 12 through 13, where we see an evil people building their own kingdom through wicked means for their own glory. That's what 12 and 13 were about. What God is saying is that, that my glory will fill the earth through any and all means attempted in this world. Again, his sovereign work hymns all things in. His sovereign work guarantees that all things will go to achieving his purpose. God is proclaiming with inescapable clarity that all beauty and achievement are for his own glory. All that man achieves in song, dance, literature, architecture, any of man's achievements will only fill the earth with God's glory. This comes through either the willful work of the rightly motivated Christ follower that understands that all of life is, for, is an offering and for the glory of God, or through the futile work of the ill-motivated coming to nothing and emptiness, only leaving meaning in God's purpose. You see, this has been God's intent from the beginning, that his glory 
would fill the earth. Genesis 1.28 says, And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So thinking about Adam and Eve, as, that's who this word was to, as God's sinless image bearers, as, as the undefiled, as they multiplied across the face of the earth, so did God's glory and all of its love and beauty and majesty. So when we think about why was that there, it wasn't just go procreate and have a bunch of families. It was go spread the, my glory through my image, through you, my image bearers, across the face of the earth. This was God's intent from the beginning. So now do you see the mission of the faithful, of the righteous that will live by faith? Verse 14 once again says, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. We, guys, we are to be part of God's work of revealing His glory to the world. Make no mistake. If anyone is reached or redeemed in this world, it is by God's hand and His goodness. If we get to play a role, it is only because God is working through our lives. And I pray that would make us humble, but that will also make us bold. Jesus shows us how He came to achieve this work in John 12, 31-32. It says, Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, talking about on the cross, will draw all people to myself. So now, through our lives, through us, our lives are lifted up. They're lifting up Jesus so that mankind can be drawn to God and repent, find salvation, and glorify God so that more would come to Him. It is God's glory that draws man to Him, not, not the way that we package it. So it is our holy lives living out with hope that reveals the glory of God, and therefore, we see the world turn. Do you remember that we have been sent to this world, Jesus, just as Jesus was sent into the world? John 17, 15 through 18 says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world. That's speaking about you and me, by the way but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. This is the vision of gospel saturation. As we said earlier, where we see every man, woman, and child have an encounter with Jesus in word and deed every day, and that is meant to happen through the body of Christ, through the church, through us. So in our comfort, we can be bold because he is sovereign. In our pursuit of holiness, we will shine like stars in the darkness and God's glory will be, will be made known to the world around us as we live as the light as Jesus is the light. And through our intentional lives of preaching the gospel where it's not been, we will see the earth filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Yes. Do you get the imagery there? As the waters cover the sea, the redundancy is on purpose. It is speaking of the absoluteness, the saturation. Let's pray.
God. I'm in awe of you. And I know that I just, as I speak those words and they come from a sincere place, I also know that the reality of, of, of that proclamation even falls short of my own confession, Lord. I know that my words are too small and my understanding is too small. Lord, I pray that as we think about you being a sovereign God, and Lord, in your sovereignty, you are good and loving and merciful, and in your love, your love, and in your mercy and truth, you are also absolutely just. And Lord, I thank you for the picture here of seeing all those come together, of you working on behalf of, of your creation, Lord, through your judgment, through your justice, turning hearts, inclining hearts, and revealing your way to the world so that, so that those could be saved. Lord, I pray for a comfort in your church. Lord, as we don't define your goodness, our goodness, Lord, our hope in circumstances, I pray for your comfort in your church as we, as we dwell on who you are, God, that you are unchanging in, in, in your ways. And Lord, I pray, I pray for a holiness, Lord, Lord, as, as it says, and as Jesus said, that blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Lord, let us wholeheartedly pursue holiness, living out of response of the work done for us in Christ, through faith, through grace, through your grace. Lord, that it would result in this life of offering, this life of of. of of just joy saying, here am I, all of me, send me. And that would be our mission, God, to live out what it is to be the light of Christ. Lord, to, to hold out the truth of the gospel to the world around us. Let us not seek to be safe or comfortable. We know that you secure our life. That it's yours for eternity. So let the way that we live here reflect your goodness and reflect our understanding. God, we love you and we praise you. Let your work be complete in us and done through us. In Jesus' name, amen.